question for you as we begin. You ever been around someone, knew someone, heard this phrase, or maybe it's you, um, that was the captain of the obvious? You've heard that phrase before, right? Uh, this morning, I want to be the sergeant of simplicity, all right? We're going to see some things that uh, are not new to probably anyone here, perhaps a few, maybe some seekers, some agnostics, maybe those who are curious, maybe in their world, they've kind of stumbled in here. Of course, there's no coincidences with God, so you're here by divine purpose. But by and large, all of you will know precisely that what I'm saying this morning is what we all should do. It's not going to be hard. It'll be very simple. And yet, I would contend with you that many of us don't do this, which is why I often say it's really rarely an issue of knowledge. It's always an issue of courage. So allow me for a few moments to be the sergeant of simplicity, especially in relation to two verses in 1 Peter 5. They're verses 6 and 7. Will you look at them with me? 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. I'll read them for you together, then I'll show you in the text exactly the four things that I think will help us see a building block of humility. In fact, that is why we're calling this message this morning Humility 101, because it is so simple and so direct, you will not be able to miss it. We'll see one ingredient that's part of becoming a humble person. One building block to this life of being humble, okay? It's in these two verses, 1 Peter 5. I'll show them to you on the screen. Follow along with me as we read through these, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Can we go there? Are we not connected to the screen? Okay, there we go. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Follow along with me. The Bible says this to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In fact, I would venture to say many of you have heard the last part of these two verses often. Now, there's four basic phrases here that will lead us to one realization. Let's start with the first one, can we? In which Peter gives us the imperative, the command, Humble yourselves. It's the real main focus of the text to bring yourself into position under God. But notice what he says here. It's under the mighty hand of God. And notice furthermore that this is something we do in light of what's happened previously. Now, let's ask yourselves, what has occurred in the epistle? What has Peter written that would make him say, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Well, first of all, he's talked to the elders and the rest of the church in the previous paragraph about living and clothing themselves with humility. You'll see that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Prior to that, he talks about enduring suffering um, that comes from being treated unjustly and to entrust your soul to your Creator so there's much of the same language, like you're giving care of your soul to God, even though you're submitting to, to perhaps what is earthly and what is horizontal and that is unjust. You know that 
in the most real sense, you're actually submitting to God because he'll take care of it. So I want to say this to you. This phrase, this first phrase, humbling ourselves, therefore, in light of the kind of unjust treatment that can occur to Christians because of their faith, in those moments, within the church, both elder and younger, in life, when you can't control it or change it, and you have to simply persevere and endure, Peter says this, therefore, in light of that, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And this phrase, the mighty hand of God, is an interesting phrase. It's really an Old Testament phrase that comes from Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It's used oh, at least 10 times. I think Exodus is used twice. There's probably seven or eight more in Deuteronomy, perhaps other places. But it's really referencing when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. Now, let me confess to you pastorally a shortcoming I had up until about two weeks ago in regards to this verse. I, I usually saw this phrase as like, if you're in sin, humble yourself because God's mighty, and if you don't, he will. I'm not saying that's an incorrect statement, but I no longer think that's the main point of this phrase. This phrase is speaking not of those necessarily who are sinning and shaking their fist in God's face and rebelling. Now, James might speak to that, right? When James speaks of humility. But in this phrase, he's actually speaking of those who are enduring, and it fits the context of the book, who are enduring unjust, unfair treatment because of their faith. They're suffering. And he says, you've got the mighty hand of God in your corner, just like Israel did. So because you know God's in control, because you know God will deliver, humble yourselves under his mighty hand. So let's just put this in a few short words. Write this down in your notes in your journal. I think it's page 38, by the way. You can turn there and make sure you're following along with me. That what Peter here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling for is humility under God at the present time. Okay? This is what he's calling for. It will appear horizontally that you're coming under someone who's treating you falsely and and wrongly and unfairly, it'll, it'll seem that way from a horizontal perspective. That's what much of the book is about. But Peter here is saying what you're actually doing vertically and in the long term and eternally in the real world, we'll call it, is you're humbling yourself under God and trusting His mighty hand. To do what? Why are you trusting and, and humbling yourself under God at the present time so that... Look at the next phrase. At the proper time, he may exalt you. So notice the contrast here between the word exalt and the word humble. See that? There's an action in the present time that will result in, an, in a position in the future time when God exalts you. But notice, it's done at the proper time. We like to say this, I'll humble myself so God will exalt me at my personal time. It's my timetable that I want God to operate on, but that's not what the verse says. The verse says, let's humble ourselves under God's mighty delivering hand. And at the proper time, he'll exalt us. Now, this is an interesting phrase. I personally think it speaks to the future. Two reasons. First of all, this is the real gist of Peter's entire epistle. 
It speaks of endurance and perseverance in light of what God is going to do. And so we endure, we persevere, we humbly do the right thing and submit in various environments when we can't change or control it because we know God will, in the end, win the day, so to speak. I think chapter 2, verse 12 speaks to this when he says that uh, those who malign us will be silenced on the day of visitation. And so I think personally, this is referencing the coming of Christ. There are those who would disagree, but I think generally speaking, this is the exaltation by God at the proper time is the vindication of God's people, the exaltation of them to their um, permanent status when he comes again. I think this is further cemented in my mind by the fact that the word exalt is used of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, and it has much the same sense that Christ's exaltation didn't occur until after his death. In other words, he endured and went through the, the most intense suffering and unjust treatment ending in his death, but then God raised him, he ascended, he's now exalted. And then after he talks about the exaltation of Christ, he does say that Christ is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Even Paul kind of gives a sense that this idea of being exalted is a futuristic sense in its fullest. So this does not mean that God does not give some, and I'll watch this air quotes here, some exaltation in degrees in this life. He very well could. He's God. He may bring solutions to your situation. He may, can I use the word fix in the right sense of the word? He may fix what you can't control or change. He may step in and heal. He may deliver. He may he does, for sure. But I think theologically, we are only permitted to guarantee exaltation when Christ comes. Are you hearing that okay? So just kind of nod your head and track with me. We know for sure that when Christ comes again, at the time set by the Father, what I would say is the proper time, he will right every wrong and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that we're to be and, and that we're to have humility at the present time so that we experience exaltation by God at the proper time. Just two phrases to kind of keep in mind. This is what Peter's calling for. Now, the $10 million question is this. How do we do that? How do we humble ourselves under God at the present time so that we experience exaltation at the proper time? How do we do this? Well, this is where the next phrase comes into play. It's all tied into this idea of casting. Notice the next phrase, casting all your anxieties on him. Now, notice something here. This is for all my grammar nerd friends. The word humble, that's the verb there. It's, it's the imperative of the uh, text. This word casting is a participle. It's the ongoing action that supports the main verb. In its technical sense, it's called an instrumental participle. It modifies, it amplifies the verb. So 
you are right to ask, how do we humble ourselves? Here's Peter's answer. You cast all your cares upon God. You give him everything that's distracting you and worrying you. You say, how is that humbling ourselves? Because when you try to hold on to it, you play God. You're saying, well, I'll do something about this. I'll do better than you could do. You're obviously delayed. You're taking way too much time. You're not on my timetable. You're on yours, and I'm not sure I like this. You know what? I'll just take it into my hands. That's pride. And often when we have worries, distractions, unjust treatment, things that we can't change or control and we don't like them, instead of giving, giving them to God and humbly saying, you will vindicate, exonerate, you will deliver, you will exalt at the proper time, I'll trust you until that time. We often want to take things in our own hands and say, no, God, I think I'll vindicate myself on my own time. See, this is why I say to you, all of you knew this. Now, I doubt there's probably anybody here who would say, Todd, I never knew that I should give my worries to God. Most of you probably assume that's like the basic, simple posture of Christians. Like, that's what we do. We're the sheep, he's the shepherd. And yet, would you, wouldn't you agree? We find this very hard to do. We love to be in what we think is control. We love to own and to fix. We don't like the proper time. We want personal time. So Peter here is saying, if you want to fight pride in your life and pursue humility, open your hands and let it go to God. The word cast there means to release. It means to give someone else responsibility for now, let's just be theologically accurate here. You're not giving God responsibility or permission. He already has it, okay? But often in Scripture, we're, we're, we're given pictures and insight into how this works with words like this. You could almost use the word throw for cast. Like, God, I, I, I'm done trying to deal with this. I, I can't deal with this. I don't have a mighty hand. I've got a measly set of hands. So, God, it's all yours. Yes, God has already got it, but it's a way to picture dependence, submission, surrender, humility. And in all frankness, those moments and pictures are really good for us. They show God our heart posture. And here Peter's saying, if you want to pursue humility and fight pride in your life, then release and throw and give and cast all of your anxieties to God. Now, notice something here. This word anxieties, it's the word for distractions. You could say temptations fits into this category. I think often when we define words, it's best to see how they're used in other parts of Scripture. This same word, anxiety, is used when Paul talked about how he's, uh, he, was, he had been shipwrecked, he'd been starved, he'd been beaten, he'd been left for dead. All these things that happened to him, he says, add to this all the cares of the churches. He's talking about all the things he has to bear up under. He used this word 
to talk about the cares of all the churches he had planted on top of all the ways he'd been unfairly treated and suffered. Kind of helps you see kind of what the word means. It's all the things that weigh in on you, including the things that are unfair and not right, things that come to you unjustly because of your faith. It's also the word used when the sower went out to sow and some fell on rocky ground. Later, Jesus would explain this, that those, uh, that seed was choked out by the cares of this world. You could insert the word anxieties, the word worries, the word distractions. Do you see more about this word? All the things that lean in on you, including times of suffering unjustly, all the things that you can't change or control, all the things that you wish were fixed right now, the Bible says, give those to God. See, you're, you're smiling right now. You're nodding because you said, Todd, I knew that, but I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat you are. I, in fact, I would venture to say you know what this is in your head right now. You're, you're thinking of a situation, a person, a dilemma, a problem right now that you, you, you can't control, change, fix. You don't know what to do with it, and it's driving you crazy. It's worrying you. It's stressing you. It's distracting you. That's what you should cast to God. In fact, I'm going to have you do something for me. Would you, would you write that down? And not just in your journal. There's a card on the seat back in front of you. And to our other location in Carlisle, it was on the chairs when you came into the service. So will you take that card out? Every single one of us take the card out. It looks like this. I've got mine, and I've filled mine in already. Will you write that in there? Because I have no doubt all of you know right now what goes in that blank. I told someone this morning, I need about 12 of these cards. Do you? There's more available if you want them, okay? But I, I have no doubt, probably every single person here, regardless of your spiritual temperature, where you are in your walk, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're a, a senior saint, whether you're maybe an agnostic or a seeker, maybe you're curious, maybe you're on your way to the mission field, across the spectrum, I think everyone here within seconds can say, yeah, I know what I've got to give to God. Will you write that down on that blank? legibly, just in your own handwriting, would you write down what it is you need to give to God? Now, when Peter wrote this, and as you're writing down yours, I suspect he may have been thinking about a couple of Old Testament scriptures, by the way. Psalm 55 says this, listen carefully, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved you find similar language in Psalm 54. We know that Peter quotes a lot of the Old Testament in his first epistle. It could be he's thinking of what David wrote when he was under such incredibly unfair treatment. To cast your burden to the Lord. This is the way that we express humility. It's the way we let go of thinking we're in control. It's the way of saying, God, I don't want to trust my measly hand. I'll trust your mighty hand. And I'll trust you for deliverance at the right time. So 
I hope you've written that, that down on your card. And then just jot this phrase somewhere in your journal, on your notes you're taking. Now this shows me I should trust God all the time. This really is the third phrase. We can call it the third building block, the third ingredient, leading us to see kind of the, the main thing about humility we want to see today. Peter here exhorts cast all your anxieties on him, trust God all the time. But why? I love what Peter does here. Look with me. Peter here does not say, because he'll fix your problem. Or he'll adjust his timetable to yours. Peter here goes straight to the love and care that God has for his people. By saying this, yes, trust God all the time. Cast all your distractions and anxieties and worries on him because he cares for you. I love this word care, don't you? I mean, God cares for you. And this is why you should cast all of your distractions on him. Watch this, because in the present time, church, listen very carefully. In the present time, while you're waiting on the proper time, what do you need most? You need the care and love of God. And so you trust in God all the time because God cares for you for all time. As I was meditating on this this past week, it reminded me of one of the characteristics of the false shepherd. You should read John 10 to understand how much the shepherd cares for his sheep. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The shepherd opens the door to the fold. The shepherd leads the sheep to good pasture. But then he says the hireling, it's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it's the hireling. It's the false shepherd. It's the one who's just hired in to do the job. But when it gets tough, when it's dangerous, the hireling runs away. Why does the hireling, why does the hired shepherd, why does the false shepherd run when things get tough and it's dangerous? Here's why, because he doesn't love the sheep, he loves himself. But Jesus never runs away. Jesus never leaves. Jesus never forsakes us. He cares for us when it's dangerous, when it's unjust, when it's hard, when it's hurtful. He cares for you all the time. This is why you should trust him all the time. I love the way Peter lunges us towards the heart of God. At the same time, Encouraging us to fight pride and pursue humility. Can I just review these four statements with you briefly? We're to, we're to display humility under God at the present time so that we can see exaltation by God at the proper time. How do we do that? By um, trusting in God all the time and why? Because God cares for us for all time. That's essentially what's happening in this set of two verses. If you take those four things and you say, well, what's then the one simple ingredient to humility? And again, it's just one. There's probably several building blocks to having a humble life. 
or there's several ingredients to having the casserole of humility come out of the oven of your life, however you want to word it, picture it, okay? This is just one. There's several. But Peter here takes aim at one thing that we should do to pursue humility. And it's this right here. Humility is the result of giving all our worries to God. I told you I would be the sergeant of simplicity, right? And yet, how many of us each day welcome the day with open hands and say, God, here's all the things that are distracting and worrying and causing me concern. They're yours. Humility is the result. And, and I would say it's the progressive result. It's the ongoing result. But just for sake of clarity and brevity, it's just best to say it in the simplest way possible. That if you want to pursue a life of humility and fight pride, quit trying to control your life and give it over to God. Every single anxiety and worry and distraction, His mighty hand is far more powerful than your measly hands. And he will bring deliverance at the proper time. So trust him all the time. Will you read this simple take-home truth with me? Humility is the result of giving all our worries to God. Let me give you a real-life example of this from someone in our church. They moved here because the husband was unjustly fired. And in trying to figure out next steps, Ankeny was where they landed. If you were to talk to them today, they would say they have a lot of questions still unanswered. They have a lot of moments when they just look back and think, what really happened? In the meantime, they had to you know, get a job, enroll their kids. They had to kind of do things you do, right? You have to make money, pay your bills, get a house, and yet you're doing those with a, a lot of turmoil inside. If you're, if you're there, can you just relate to that? Just kind of nod like, I get that. Like, it appears at times like you've moved on. But inwardly, it was just kind of a, you know, a, a lot of volcanic activity here. Questions wonderings, hurt, distractions, stress, worries, temptations towards anger and bitterness. If you talk to that family here within our church, they would say to you, yeah, we don't, we're not sure yet what really happened, but it must be that God's doing something in us and through us that we're not aware of yet. That's kind of their, their answer. And I, I want to say standard answer. I don't mean that it's a fake answer. I think that's how they express that in the middle of this, they're trusting God. And what are they trusting? They're trusting His care for them. They're not trusting that He's going to fix it on this side of His coming. He may in degrees show what He's doing. They're simply saying, God is good, He is loving, He is just, He does care, and so He must be doing something for our benefit that we're not quite aware of yet, and this is how He chose to do it, so we just trust Him, even though we can't figure it out. That 
is what it looks like to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And when they do that, they're pushing back pride in their life. They're fighting arrogance and haughtiness and they're traveling down the road of humility. They're humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he can exalt them. How are they doing that? By casting all of their anxieties on God because he cares for them.